This is Tom Lee, Editor-in-Chief of NEJAM Catalyst, and we are talking today with Michael Uweki, the President and CEO of Methodist Labonor Healthcare in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, I think Michael is one of the top leaders in U.S. healthcare, and he has been as effective as anyone I know in advancing equity in his organization. But I immediately thought of him last January when video footage showing the killing of Tyree Nichols by Memphis police emerged. I asked him if he would discuss with us how people in his organization responded to the news and prepared for the reactions, including protests and possible violence. Sad to say, my sense was that what he and his team did might offer something of a playbook for when other tragedies like this occur elsewhere in the country in the future. So Michael, first, for listeners who might not know Methodist LeBonner, can you give a high-level description of your organization? Yes, thank you, Tom. Um, again, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share our lessons uh, from this uh, horrible incident. Uh, again, my name is Michael Ugricki. I'm the President and CEO of Methodist uh, Labana Healthcare in Memphis, Tennessee. We are a regional health system and an anchor institution. We offer full continuum of care uh, within the Mid-South community. We serve about 1.3 million people within the Metro Memphis community with six hospitals, five adults, and one uh, children's hospital. I, uh, we have about 12,000 uh, employees and about 2,500 physician partners. And we are the second largest private employer in the Memphis uh, community. Can you tell us about the demographic breakdown of your patients and also your workforce? So our patients reflect the community that we serve. And uh, our patient population is uh, breakdown is 56% female, 43% male, about 54% black, 40% whites, 2% Hispanic and 1% uh, Asian. Um, again, we reflect the community uh, that we all have the privilege to serve. More than 35% are over 65 and about 14% are under 18. So that's the community. Our workforce itself is about 83% female, just like uh, most healthcare systems, about 17% male, 48% of our workforce are white and 44 black, and the rest are uh, other, uh, other minorities. Now, I know from conversations with you that you were working very hard to build an equitable culture even before the murder of George Floyd in uh, 2020. Can you tell us two to three of the key elements of your efforts, and could you tell if they were actually helping? We like to think that, um, you know, having a goodwill relationship with the community is extremely important. We know that as an anchor institution, we serve um, a lot of the um, patients without insurance, more Medicaid than any other hospital system in, in the States. And we, over time, have developed uh, relationships because we know that people are not living in a vacuum. They're part of a community. And the communities are shaped. Uh, someone once said, uh, the zip code where you live determines everything about you. Uh, so where people live and the resources they have or don't have impacts uh, how they 
access healthcare. So that was our stand from time. We have uh, a relationship that we call the CHN, Congregational Health Network, which was established uh, several years ago, back in 2005, with uh, about uh, 400 congregations in town. And that relationship allowed us to be able not only to meet the healthcare needs and disparities in the community, but also to you know, create a relationship uh, with uh, different groups particularly the African-American group uh, in Memphis uh, market area. So uh, when stuff like this happens, gives you the ability to have direct and open conversation with various groups and be able to address issues before they get out of hand. Now, when the video footage of Tyree Nichols was released, I think it was on a Friday evening, how did that news spread within your organization? Yeah, so Tom, you know, a lot of people may or may not even remember this. So in the six months prior to the brutal murder of Tyree Nicholson, the city faced uh, several high-profile and unprecedented uh, tragedies. Uh, the first was Dr. Tura L. Easton Williams, who was actually um, a member of, our, she's a Methodist minister, but also a member of our foundation board was murdered in her driveway while on the phone with another minister. And then followed by Eliza Fletcher, a school teacher and a mother of two small boys that was abducted while jogging in the morning. Uh, obviously that ended in a, a tragedy as well. And shortly after that, uh, that was Ezekiel Kelly that held the city hostage at nighttime and while videoing it on a Facebook with a shooting spree that terrorizes residents and taking lives of three people and injured four more. So there were a lot of this going on before Tyree's deaths uh, uh, rattled the entire community. Uh, so as an anchor institution, we obviously deeply rooted in the community with strong relationship with community leaders, law enforcement, and elected officials. So we knew the video would be horrific. Uh, we knew the video would be released, as you said, on a Friday night. So some of our sources uh, will be at home and some caring for our patients in our facilities. So in advance of that release, we helped ensure that our sources had access to resources that might be needed to deal with the high emotions the video um, would elicit, such as EAP and spiritual care. Uh, so once that video was released, um, uh, I personally watched it. Um, and some people chose not to, but I watched it because I wanted to not only see what happened and how it happened, but also so that I can communicate effectively and share some of my personal reflections on that. What the world saw was how strong Memphis is. A lot of people thought Memphis would be up, up in flames. Uh, but uh, but not because the city is very resilient um, and rallied together. Uh, you know, we have to applaud the quick and decisive actions of the Memphis Police Department to release the video uh, in, in addition to terminating the officers and the swift actions uh, that the DA's office took. So those things contributed to um, you know, orderly uh, protests and peaceful protests across the city. There was no burning, looting, you know, that 
typical results uh, when you see uh, these kinds of activities in other communities. So we were very um, pleased with the outcome given the magnitude of the, of the tragedy. Well, it sounds like the preparations, uh, the work that you and your organization and the other parts of your community had been doing for months and years beforehand helped make things go better than they otherwise might have. But on that Friday night, you couldn't be sure that things were going to stay peaceful. What did you do with your leadership team to prepare for uh, something worse? Did you have weekend meetings? Were yes. you bracing for riots? Absolutely. So as much as we've done some work prior to that, you have to also remember when George Floyd incident happened, there was a lot of commotion and rioting and uh, across the country. Memphis was also spared during that period. So we, as a leadership team, obviously had some deep uh, conversation around this issue. Um, we were able to, um, you know, to uh, open up a line of communication with our associates, uh, did a lot of listening through our facility leaders uh, to get an idea of what they're hearing from our associates and our patients. Obviously, we reinforced the spiritual mental support and other resources available to them as well. Our security was definitely on alert, and we had plans to place uh, to take care of anyone needing care because we do have six hospitals within the community. But our security was definitely on alert, uh, not knowing if something was going to get out of hand. But we followed, I think the community followed the parents' uh, requests, you know, to maintain an orderly, um, peaceful protest. And that they said specifically that's what their son uh, would prefer. And the city, you know, listened to it. And that really helped uh, to calm things down. And our relationships, both with the city and the police department, really paid up because we were in constant communication with them prior to even the video coming out. Uh, so we were all prepared for it. Now, in terms of communication with your own workforce, uh, you know, many of whom I'm sure were very emotional about what what had happened. Um, you know, how did you uh, how did you execute that in terms of both communicating your thoughts and also showing that you were listening to them? Uh, did you have town meetings? Did or uh, did you do anything on that weekend, or did it wait till Monday? Yes, so the day before the video was released, we hosted a system-wide uh, moment of prayer for our city to give our associates a chance to stop for a moment and reflect on Tyree and all that our city has um, uh, endured at that time. We also did a series of uh, messages in the weeks after the tragedy. The first message went out the week before the video was released, uh, very firm in our condemnation of the acts, but also applauded the quick action by law enforcement leader, uh, and leaders to hold those uh, responsible. In addition to disbanding the scorpion units, we shared uh, a lot of um, you know, frequently asked questions, Q&As, um, and, and resources to respond to the most pressing, pressing questions. We did offer some counseling and assistance to those associates who needed additional uh, resources and assured them that we're monitoring all the events closely. 
And then finally, the Monday after the video was released, um, uh, I have a regular bi-weekly message that I sent out to our entire workforce. So I used that venue to address the video put footage and uh, offer comfort to associates, but also to remind us to give ourselves and each other our grace during this difficult time, because not everyone processes information the same way. Well, wrapping up, it seems to me what I learned from listening to you was that, you know, tremendous preparation for such events, even though one hopes they're never going to occur, but the preparation of reaching out and building relationships with the community, including the police, uh, was very, very valuable. And then if you didn't just send out one communication or have one town hall and then think you were checking off the box in terms of listening to uh, your workforce, you had many, many communications so that everyone would understand the authenticity of uh, leadership's concern uh, and indeed horror over what had happened. Um, uh, and I think these are two very important principles. Are there other important principles that you might suggest for uh, our listeners? Yes. Uh, so, Tom, you are absolutely correct. The pre-work or the preparation uh, paid off, uh, being proactive and having uh, these relationships before you need them, uh, not only gives you a bit of credit that you can draw when crisis and things of this nature happen, because you have... Uh, a direct line to all the people, including the activist community members that you have already established some credibility with is very helpful. I think someone once said that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is now. So if you have the time, or organizations have the time, if they don't already have those kinds of relationships, it begs uh, really it's important to start right now and establishing it because you, you really, um, is uh, is a credit, uh, and you may 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 or may never use it. But if it comes uh, something like this, you've already built it. And if you don't have it, then it's not authentic, and it's not you know it will not come out uh, uh, as real. The second thing is uh, be able to um, express your voice in the community, not just you know when things are good, when things are not going well. Well, a leader has to be able to call it out and be able to know that, you know, um, what they say is important. So don't be afraid to speak against injustice. Uh, and, and I think that's part of how you build the credibility. Um, you know, during the George Floyd incident, a lot of businesses and communities across the country all spoke up. But over time, it seems like it's dying down. And I think um, it's important to be aware of it, not just when stuff uh, happens. The other piece is to be viewed as a partner in the community. As I said earlier, we're not, we're not just an anchor institution. We support minority and women-owned businesses and have done so since uh, going back to the 90s. And I can tell you, We've invested a lot in those types of relationships, which also gives us uh, some credibility. Um, the other piece is, um, you know, addressing equity and disparities in the community, uh, recognizing again that um, 
you know, there's no doubt uh, a lot of these issues are uh, related to economics, access, and all, all of that. So as a uh, healthcare system, uh, we are not only there to just cure the illness. If we're going to make a dent, we have to be part of the community addressing uh, you know, inequities in care. So those are the kind of uh, suggestions uh, that I would uh, offer to others. Well, Michael, this, this probably all came naturally to you, but I feel like the advice that you laid out is a fantastically valuable playbook for many, many other organizations in healthcare. I thank you again, and I look forward to talking with you about happier issues down the line. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate the work you do bringing up uh, these types of issues and helping other health systems hopefully learn from uh, other systems. I just hope that, uh, you know, we don't see more of this uh, uh, as we've seen uh, more recently.